My name is Rick Espana, and uh, I um, am the farm manager at Eden Valley Farm, and my buddy here. I'm Alan Seiler, and I know some of you from the last class, but I'm uh, from South Central Oklahoma with Better Together Farm. And we both met um, at uh, Bountiful Blessings Farm, and um, it's just amazing to see how God is, has led our lives since then. Uh, we will be going over irrigation systems, and I'm just going to give you an overview of, of what we're going to be discussing. Um, first, we're going to deal with water source, and Alan is going to be presenting that, um, what it, where our water comes from and what, it, what it's like. Then we're going to go to the, what we call the pump house and the components of that. Then there is the main water line, and then um, I'll be dealing with the pump house. Alan will be dealing with the main water line, and then um, we will have what we call the valve box, and uh, the valve box is basically um, distributing the water to where you want the, the water. And then uh, the last part is going to be um, the types of systems once you, your water is out where you need it. And then at the end, we're going to have a, a time period for questions and answers. All right, so Alan will be dealing with the water source. Okay, so how many of you here are wanting to do this as a home garden? Okay, and how many are wanting to do it? Is there anyone here that wants to do it as far as a production? system. Okay, maybe, maybe in the future. Okay, so when we're looking at water sources, there's a few things that we need to consider. Um, there's many different types of water sources that you can have. Let me stand on this side. Um, so for instance, this could be a well water. This could be you're buying water off of a local water co-op, which then it comes uh, pressurized automatically from their pump stations. And so part of the pumping system is not necessary. Um, it could be coming from a gravity-fed uh, uh, stream that's up higher than you, or, or a spring, or you could be like um, people in Washington and places like in uh, the San Juan Keen Valley where they're, it's, they're pulling out of aquifers, sorry, not aquifers, they're pulling out of aqueducts um, and stuff like that. Either it runs along the ridges of the mountain and flows down, or it runs along the side of their fields and they pump out of it. So there's many different water sources. One thing to take in consideration, if you are going to be doing anything beyond a residential situation, you really want to make sure what your water rights are for the particular land that you're looking at or that you even have currently. So how do you find out what your water rights are? It can be different from state to state, but um, one of the good things to do is get in touch with your local water resource board. Oklahoma, where I'm from, has, uh, it's called the Oklahoma Water Board, and they can be found online. Um, and basically, these people, they graph the aquifers in your area. They know about the surface water, groundwater. Um, in in, in uh, Colorado, actually, you can't even harvest water off your house because the water is the domain of the public. And so you even catching water off of your house is considered a... I'm not sure if it's a felony or whatever type of situation, but anyways, it's not your right. So you want to make sure wherever you're coming from that you actually have the right to the water that you're using in the quantities that you need it. Uh, another thing to think about is that how much water do I actually need? Well, it depends on what you're growing. If you're growing things like 
um, you know, cactus, it's going to be a lot different than you're growing things like pecans or ver versus uh, um, vegetable production, which is what we do. If you're doing vegetable production, the rule of thumb is about 15, 15 gallons a minute per acre of land that you're growing. Okay, so 15 gallons of acre, 15 gallons a minute per acre of land that you're growing. And another thing to consider, is, so for instance, if you're looking at a well or something, it's like, oh, it has a good well on the property. Well, does it really have a good well? Can it actually give you a minimum of 15 gallons a minute? Most wells don't. Some wells give beyond that, but you just want to know what your restrictions are because when it comes to water sourcing, that might mean you have to put in some sort of reservoir to capture that water overnight and then pump out of that reservoir during the day because your well, you don't want to bleed your well dry um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, another thing to think about, and this kind of gets into the pump house situation, but what PSI do I want this water at? Most of these irrigation systems that we're going to be looking at today here, like uh, drip tape, which is this kind of stuff, we'll talk more about them, or micro sprinklers or stuff like that, have a wide variation in the PSI that they need to actually run the system at their uh, optimum performance, okay? So drip tape is about 10 PSI. Um, systems like this, whether it's overhead irrigation or on-ground overhead irrigation like these wobblers and such, they require at least 30 to 40 PSI to run those systems at their optimum level. So you want to think when you're looking at a water source, I want 15, I want at least 15 gallons a minute and I want to operate my system at the max. You can always drop the P PSI. It's not always possible to get it higher. So we recommend, or at least I recommend, and I think uh, uh, Rick would, would concur with me is that you're looking about 30 to 40 PSI in your system to be able to meet the needs of these variable uh, overhead and, and systems that need these higher pressures. Um, that's about it for, for water source um, because there's a lot of variations we could go into details but that's a good overview to get you started. One thing about if you're running off of well is you have to take into consideration what water you need for domestic use. So it's not just irrigation, but what you need for both domestic and irrigation, and also to take into consideration what is the uh, flow at uh, the driest time of the year in so case your water table really goes down. Um, yeah, and so when I say 15 gallons a when I say 15 gallons a minute, that means 15 gallons a minute at least all year round, okay? So the lowest time or the highest time. You have to maintain that minimum. It's called, it would be a water resource board. Water resource board in Oklahoma, it's called the Oklahoma Water Board. If you put up, I don't know where are you from, are you from here in Texas? Okay, so it would be probably the Oklahoma Water Texas Board or the, something like that. You can search it online. So the trouble with the with irrigation system class is that there's such a wide variety of water sources and needs. It's hard to, to cover it all in just one hour. So with the pump house... <laughs> How'd you wreck your finger? <laughs> you don't want to share? Okay. Later. <laughs> uh, so um, our water source, whatever it is, is coming in to what we call a pump house. And there are different components in this pump house. It may actually have a pump. Most of the time, um, your well will have a pump. Um, if you're on city water, that's already got pressure. But uh, there are some cases where you actually need 
to boost up the pressure. So um, in my condition uh, in Colorado, we are getting water 100% from a canal. And so we bring that to a pump and then we, we um, put a pump on that and boost up the pressure. Um, one of the most important things that you need on um, your, in this setup here is your filter. Uh, filtration is is very very important because the systems you use out in the field can easily get clogged by small small debris. Um, you want to put on here a pressure regulator, not a regulator, but a uh, pressure gauge, and it's just like a speedometer. It just tells you how much pressure you're actually getting. Just a real quick funny story. It's actually about Rick when we were at the farm. He was drinking out of the water hose, and it was kind of clogged with something. And so he was drinking, and it was clogged. They don't have a very good filtration system. Clean it, and he, he screws off the cap of the thing to look at it, and there's a little salamander <laughs> in the top of the thing. So you want to make sure you have good filtration. You remember that, huh? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know at that point that we were getting water straight from the pond. <laughs> Yeah, um, so the pressure uh, gauge lets you know what's going on with your water. If your pump is pumping, whether underground at the well or above ground here, um, the, your pressure gauge tells you if your pump is functioning appropriately or if there's some debris in your filter that's reducing the, the pressure. Um, I'm always watching my pressure gauge to see because I have so many components running. And so sometimes it's the pump, sometimes it's the filter. Would you suggest putting a pressure gauge before and after the filter? Um, I actually have that. Okay. I have one before and after. Um, I actually have several pressure gauges um, in different areas because I have water coming and um, I have extra filters in addition to my main filter. Um, so there are different types of filters and uh, different qualities. We have... Um, baseline. This is the baseline. Yes, here's a one that's got a screen, a fine mesh screen for trapping debris. Uh, sometimes this isn't enough. This is probably the beginning type of filter. There are also filters with plates, and these plates capture debris. Um, and there are some that are sand filters, and they can vary in size from something like this to, to something that's big uh, in size. So uh, I happen to have a sand filter, but we go through quite a bit of water. Um, How many acres do you have that require to We're irrigating roughly. Oh, the question is how much water, are we, uh, how much land are we irrigating? And uh, currently, we're irrigating about 200 acres. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, then, then another thing that can be put into this pump house is an injector. Um, an injector is something that um, will add fertilizer or amendments to your irrigation system. An injector. And uh, this injector siphons from a bucket of solution and the water comes in here and the pressure or the flow of the water 
will um, oh, move a piston, and that piston sucks up the liquid and adds it at a ratio that you can adjust here. This one's uh, 0.2 gallons to two, sorry, 0.2% to 2% is the variation of concentration that it can do it. So you can adjust it just by screwing this ring up or down. Can I mention something a little bit about this? Okay, so usually people will use this either to add fertilizer or for in our cases, for instance, depending on your soil situation, you might not be able to hold certain elements within the system until because you're, you're not very balanced. And so something like this really comes in handy when you're not completely balanced, where you can inject those specific elements that you're deficient in to help keep them in solution because they're not going to hold in the soil. Um, so sometimes when people have a lot of compost and they apply a lot of compost, it can drop their copper levels. And when they're trying to reduce the compost application so that they can get that copper back, they're going to be sorely copper deficient. And so you can inject liquid copper through your irrigation line at very small percentages to just keep it in solution so that you're not dealing with the deficiency so severely. So this is incredible. Uh, or, and you can also treat your water with something like this if you have high um, um, bicarbonate levels. I know you might not know what that means, but water systems have these things that will clog up the pores and stuff in your drip lines and such. And sometimes you have to treat the water so that everything stays moving and fluid as, it, as you're trying to irrigate. This is, a, this is a piston injector that we're having here. They have others that are siphon injectors. They're called MAZI injectors. They use the same principle of a carburetor. Um, when the air flows through, it has a vacuum and it sucks the fluid in. This is a more accurate injector and it doesn't matter what the flow rate through it is, whether it's going through fast or slow, it will make sure that it'll speed up or slow down to make sure the concentration is exactly the same all the time. This is called a mix-right injector. It's probably one of the best on the, on, the, on the market right now and the cheapest to maintain. And where do you buy Deerfield Supplies. We have this catalog here at the end. Oh, I put a whole bunch. Maybe people picked them up. But th that's where I bought this specific injector from. Get uh, that number down. If you, here's some, yeah, here are the catalogs. You can take a catalog. That's what they're here for. They're for you. Just read it on there so people have it. Yeah, Deerfield Supplies is out of Kentucky, and the phone number is 270-265-2425. It's a Mennonite-owned uh, and run company. They're not online. And uh, it's the best company that we know of. Their prices are, are at times half the prices where you find it elsewhere. Another um, component to the pump house can be if you are in a more arid environment um, and need regular irrigation. Um, because you don't have the rainfall and putting in a timer for automated um, for automated systems for turning on and turning off the valves. Um, another consideration for the the pump house is insulation if you're in a cold environment and you need to protect your water line from freezing. Uh, if you do have a timer you will need electricity unless you have a battery operated uh, timer. The injector doesn't use electricity. They um, have ones that do. Yes. I, I wouldn't suggest getting those off the bat. 
Uh, some filtration uses electricity for automated backwash to clean out the filtration. And um, the pressure gauge doesn't use electricity. It's just a dial that you add onto your line. The pump, if you have a pump, that will use electricity. And it needs to be a protected, a ground-protected um, outlet. Um, otherwise, that is the pump house. And oh yes, the timer. Um, there are different timers you can use. There's um, simple ones you can get at Home Depot or Lowe's um, that are battery operated, and uh, you can set program it so that it turns on and off when you want. And then there are more sophisticated, expensive timers like this one. And um, the, they can do, this one, you just have one outlet on it. So that's all it controls. It's just that one pipe that comes out. This one is made for valves that are electronic and have a solenoid to open and close and you have timers that can run as many as 20 or more um, of these valves. Uh, you can um, program them in crazy ways. You can connect sensors for moisture and uh, a number of things. Yes, definitely for a bigger system. But again, that would be more in arid environments or greenhouses where you don't have rainfall and you need regular irrigation. Okay, so now we move on to the main line. Now, the main line is basically the main line that comes out of, out of your pump house and goes to all your different fields. So let me see the marker here, and I'll try to, to, to draw this situation. So let's say up here, let's say that this is your pump house, okay? And let's say that these, oh, that's a little big. Let me scratch that out. Let's say that these are your fields here. Let's say you have four fields, okay? Um, and that, you know, with this situation, you know, your, your, your main line's coming out. So basically, you want your main line to be pretty central to all your fields. And then we're going to move to the valve box, but you're probably your valve boxes would be in locations like this on the ends of your fields at a very, very, um, you know, er, uh, very close area. So what we're talking about right now is this main line. Now, main lines can be a very variety of sizes um, as far as the diameter. Uh, just a rule of thumb, if you're running a long distance, you want a bigger diameter main line. If you're running a small distance, it can be smaller. Um, the problem is, is that the longer the distance you run that main line, you have what is called friction loss. And what happens is, is that as the water passes through the pipes, it actually twirls along the edges, and it's kind of like a tornado effect or a vacuum effect, and, it, and the farther you're pushing that water, the more resistance it's going to have along the way, so it slows it down, so you reduce your pressure, which if you're running a long distance and you're having to maintain it at a 40 PSI to the point of when you're actually connected, you're going to connect it to your field systems, you need to think about how am I going to maintain that PSI to the point of where it actually comes out on the field. Um, unless you have a super, super high pressure pump that can compensate for the smallness of that line, it's usually cheaper to have bigger pipe than a bigger pump. 
uh, pipe is relatively cheap when it comes to irrigation. It's really your, your mechanical situations that are going to cost you the mo most. So, but if you're in a small area and you're just doing, let's say, the area from here to the wall there, just a little area, probably won't, you probably could get away with a three-quarter inch line. It's when you start running these long distances that you have to think about having, you know, one inch, one-half inch, two inch as you start running those distances farther. And Oh, and you're gonna run. A, you're gonna want to run that pipe underground. I did it uh, some on top of the ground. It's not a good idea. You're just gonna roll over it. Um, it's just always in the way. So try to run as much of that main line under the ground as possible. And it also means that you don't have to pick it up in the winter time. It's just there. But when you are putting it underground, you need to be very strategic on how you place that so that it maximizes the efficiency of when you dig that. You don't have to come back in and do it again. But sometimes you're not always going to be able to do that. But if you can, it's best to do it that way. Um, so I think that takes care of the main line, uh, Rick. Um, now we're going to move on to the valve box. So uh, there's a lot of questions that you will have for your own system. And a lot of those questions can be answered at a plumbing supply house or um, the guy in the plumbing department at Home Depot or Lowe's or one of those places. And they're usually very helpful. If you find the right person, they'll answer every question you have on the parts and um, the size of, of the pipe that you need, the components that you'll need for your system. Always try to um, plan with, with your ultimate um, um, garden or, or uh, plots, farm whatever you're growing, um, so that you're not um, limited by the system that you put in initially. And the quality of what you buy will always make an enormous difference. Buy the best quality you can if you're limited because everything is expensive in the beginning stage. Um, just keep in mind that if you're going to buy less expensive now, then you'll want to upgrade later on so that you don't have the troubles of the poor quality. The valve box, um, the main uh, concern about valve box is location. So um, you can have, let me, let me explain what a valve box is. A valve box is basically a manifold. It's, um, I, I think about, you have a pot of soup in the kitchen, but when you take it to the dining table, you're going to be um, doling it out into bowls. So you're, you're um, distributing your water or your soup. In this case, you may just have one garden plot, and so you just have one valve that comes and waters your garden. In some cases, you have to have several, and uh, each one of these has its own valve. This would be a manifold that you buy. Um, I wouldn't suggest buying one of those, but it's a, it's a, good, it's a good representation of a this is one you may be more familiar with. And this is the same thing, but it's an automated um, valve um, instead of something that's fixed like this. So what you would do with a system um, that's larger is you would have larger valves and you would build something like this out of pipe and valves. So, thanks. So your water line comes in here and this is where that line is divided into parts, depending on how many plots 
or areas you need to water. Now, in the case of what Alan's drawn here, is he has a main water line coming out, and then he divides it and puts a valve in each one of these boxes. And uh, so instead of having one box with all your valves in it, you may, in this case, have several boxes, each with a valve, because of the bigger area. Now, um, if you have, for example, let's say your, your filtration and, and uh, pressure gauge all is in one spot and you want to have your valves in the same area, then if your plots are far out, then you have to run all these water lines out to those plots. Um, you're saying if you have a centralized valve box. Yeah, up here. You'll have to run it. And yeah. then you run water lines out to those. On the surface? No, this would be underground. Yes. Um, that to me is going to be cost more and be more maintenance than if you run a line out there and have valves coming off of that line to each of the plots. Uh, if you're doing automation, it's cheaper to run a pipe with all your wires to the different valves uh, than to have all these pipes coming out with water lines. Water lines um, are notorious for repair, and so that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, I have a field that I'm developing, and it has 10 quarter acre, I'm sorry, eight quarter acre plots. And so I'm going to run a, a pipe out there with the um, electrical wires, and then I'm going to put a, a string in there in case I need to run some more wire at some later date. But, um, and so I'm going to have a main line like that with boxes out at each, each plot. Um, your, your valve boxes are underground for frost, frost reasons. If you're not dealing with frost, having them underground just keeps them out of the way for mowing or, or whatever. Um, How deep would you do that? What's the variance of depth? Yeah, it depends on what your frost depth is. For some people, it's, you know, they just bury it eight inches in California and I have to do it four feet deep in Colorado. Um, and in northern, more northern places, it might be a little deeper than that, but uh, that's also something you need to keep in mind uh, is the depth for frost protection. There are also hydrants, frost-free hydrants, that um, um, stand about so high, and they have a plunger that goes down to the depth of that particular hydrant, and that is a source of water out in the field um, that is frost protected. Um, just make sure you put it in a spot where you don't run into it and break it. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, putting sand around your pipes is a buffer from either frost heave, rocks coming up, or like you say, yes, driving over and pushing rocks in. Um, when it's at a deeper levels, it's not as much of an issue as more superficial levels. All right. I think the next topic is going to be the um, 
irrigation systems. Okay, so when we're talking about individual irrigation system, it will be specific, but I just want to point out the reason that you want to have multiple valve boxes and of course multiple, va uh, multiple valves in those boxes is because irrigation systems are going to be dynamic in your field. So for instance, let's say that we have a large field that's of 20 beds, okay? And let's say I'm growing lettuce in half of that and I'm growing ochre in the other half. I don't necessarily need maybe overhead irrigation, which will be at a different PSI. I want to run it with drip irrigation. You want to have the ability with individual valves to even within your fields be able, be able to micromanage the zones in those fields. So that's one of the big reasons why to have multiple valves. And then let's say like I'm out in the field and, I've and everything has just been irrigated that morning, but I have a seed bed, one bed that I've just planted, and I want to be able to irrigate that independently and not have to turn the entire system on to be able to do that. Then I would like to have an extra valve in there that I can plug in a little hose or a little small system and be able to do that micromanaging that small area so that I can get it sprouted. So by having, I think four is probably pretty ideal of valves per box because it gives you enough ones that you could run drip tape, overhead, uh, an extra one uh, if, if you're going to just water with the wand or plug in a small micro sprinkler or something like that. It gives you some variation and variety of what you can do. If you limit yourself here, it will limit, it, it's just going to take you more time to be able to manage that system. And then also, by putting on solenoid valves and having one main control computer system here to do it, you might not even have to go out to the field to be able to turn this on. You could, they have it so nice in some ways, if you're doing a large production in the future, you can manage your whole irrigation system from your phone, okay? And so you want to think about ways that you can lean up your system and not spend so much time on the things that aren't making you money, but just take up a lot of time. And so that's just a plug for having multiple things like that, just a few points on that. So let's move on now to our individual systems that we actually have to work with. Um, we're going to start with drip tape. Who here has heard of drip tape? Okay, who, <laughs> who actively uses it? Okay, so the people that have heard it use it. You know, drip tape is a really, really, it's, it's the cheapest irrigation system to put in because it's very simple. Uh, basically, and a lot of systems, you know, it, it's just, anyways, let's go over this. Okay, so basically for irrigation, uh, for drip line irrigation, you just need to make sure that your PSI doesn't go above 10 PSI. Okay, so um, basically we buy these little pressure regulators here that we put in the line and it makes sure that the PSI does not go above 10 PSI because if it does go above that, it's probably going to burst and bust on you and then you'll be out of luck. Okay, so that's the first thing in your system that you want to put. The more um, flow, the more water you have going into a particular area to be able to irrigate it, the larger the regulator you're going to need. This is, a, this is the smallest regulator they sell, so if you're going to put it in a backyard situation, this is most likely what you're going to use. The next thing is that you need to have some way to connect that pressure regulator to your line. This is a, a poly line. It's very commonly used in drip irrigation. It's probably the most popular line to use but there's connectors that you can get depending on the size of the line. It can either be a compression coupling like this one. Actually, this is a, yeah, this is a, no, this is a lockdown coupling. It just basically screws off this nut and then it has a barb that you push in and then it screws down onto it. Um, but they sell a variety of different ones like this. Uh, barb connections with the bigger pipe, it usually is a barb. I don't think I have one here. It's actually, it's more like this. So you have a barb situation like this and then you push it into the line, and then you take a um, CC clamp, 
and I don't have, do we have a CC clamp here? Um, yeah, that's one. And basically it looks like this, okay? And it ratchets down with the, with the impact driver um, onto the line and it makes it a complete seal, okay? After that, this is where drip line really shines is that basically all you have to do is take a, this is called a pistol punch. Um, they have many different varieties of these things, but basically you take this, you punch it into the line and you make a hole like I did here yesterday, but you basically twist it in, punch your hole in the line, and then the next thing you do is you take uh, your um, little, um, this is called a P6A connector. They have different varieties. I highly recommend this variety of connector. It's, it's made from uh, an Israelite company. They're actually the ones that designed drip irrigation in the beginning, uh, some Israelis. And this is a very high quality um, connector. It won't break on you very much and it has really good seals and it has a little valve. That's very important. A lot of the systems that you'll see out there don't have valves like this on them. But if your line breaks and let's say you have to go and do something else, you want to be sure that the rest of your system can pressure up. So can you get that from Home Depot or Lowe's? No, Home Depot or Lowe's, maybe some places that sell it, but I'm not aware that they sell this. This would be a Deerfield or Dripworks, or there's different companies, but it would be this, this, this place here. They run about $2.50 a piece, but they're well worth it to get a good quality one because if your system breaks, you want to be able to turn off what's causing you the problem but not compromise your entire system. Um, and then after you get to that point, basically once that's punch, punched in, you just screw your lock nut back on, on the little connector here and you just insert it. Could you do this, Rick? I know your finger's kind of problem, but anyways, you just take it to the end, you kind of smooth out the edges, and you insert it, and then lock the nut back on top of it. And after you get that done, um, do we have one of those that was already pre-done yesterday? Basically, you can fold the end of this drip irrigation and then slide, cut a piece off and slide it over it, and basically it seals up on the end. So it's a very simple system. It really doesn't take a lot of parts. Um, the downside to drip, the upside to drip irrigation first is that it conserves a lot of water. So if you have limited uh, uh, PSI, pressure per square inch, or of water, or you just have a limited water quantity that you can actually use, drip irrigation is going to be the most effective way to get that water to the source. The downside of drip irrigation is that varmints like to chew on it. And so you might have to um, be repairing these lines frequently, and that's why they have things like this. We have two of these here, but they're little patch connectors. And basically it's the same principle of putting the line onto this P6A connector, except it's double-sided with the barb so that you can cut out the problem part and patch this into it. Um, so that's, that's pretty much drip irrigation. The downside to drip irrigation, like I said, was varmints chew on it. And also the second thing is, is that it doesn't really have a good leaching quality to the soil. Now, what's leaching? Basically, leaching is water moving through the soil strata and out. Okay, It moves through and out. Um, if your water is getting onto the soil too slow, you're not going to have that effect. And so what some growers run into the problem with with drip irrigation is that um, if your water is carrying a lot of elements in it that you don't want, that you need to force through your soil and get out, or if you're applying a lot of amendments to your soil to help balance it out, you need to make sure you have enough flow through your uh, flow, water flow through your soil to be able to take those elements, 
help them work in the soil and move them out. Because if they build in the soil, um, they can cause a lot of trouble, okay? So that's the downside to drip irrigation. And it also can clog sometimes, but it's not so, it hasn't been so much of a problem for us on that. Um, so moving on, overhead irrigation. This is uh, a product that's made, made by a company called Netafim, um, which means in Hebrew, it means drop of water. So it's, this is an Israeli company. You can get it in that catalog too. I bought pretty much all my stuff from Deerfield because their prices um, are very competitive and most likely cheaper than anything else you can buy. So that's why we recommend them and they're also great to work with. Um, so basically what this would do is that you would put this in a greenhouse situation or a hoop house situation. And the benefit for doing that is that when you're, uh, if you're using drip tape, you're always, people call it drip irritation um, because it's always, it can always be in your way when you're trying to weed and stuff like that. So you really want to use it more on those permanent crops um, that like tomatoes and stuff that you're really not going to have a lot of weed competition with. Like you wouldn't want to use that on lettuce mix or lettuce heads maybe so much. Lettuce heads work pretty well, but um, it's just, it can be a bit of a problem when you're having to do a lot of fine weeding because it kind of gets always in the way. And in limited spaces, like in a hoop house, it kind of gets more in the way sometimes. So something like this, uh, an overhead system, is really nice. There's many different systems. This is just the one that I use uh, currently. And uh, we use it in our hoop houses because it's up off the ground. It's just not in the way. And basically, you would hang it on either your purling that runs the length of the house or on your cross connections, if you have cross connections in the house. Some way, hang it up there. And then, um, basically, you turn it on, and it does this nice little mist. You're going to hang these about every three feet. Um, the reason for that is that you want overlap in the spray pattern so it gives a uniform watering to what you're doing. Um, and this, this, uh, this system here can be more expensive. As you can see, you have to buy each emitter. Uh, you have to buy a, a pressure lock valve, and we'll talk about this. And it, there's just more parts to these systems, unlike just drip tape, where you just roll out the tape. It already has the emitters laser printed basically onto the tape itself, and it's already, you just roll it out, cut it off at the length you want, and you're done. Um, with this, it's just a little bit more, little bit more expensive, but these will last longer. Drip tape, you have to pretty much replace every year because the varmints will eat on it, okay? Um, so... And this will do a lot better leaching job for you. Um, so that's, this, is, this is the system that you would probably use mostly in your hoop houses and uh, greenhouses. Um, the next, sorry? What about humidity? Where do you guys grow? If it depends on what application you're wanting to use it in. So if you're wanting to use it in a hoop house, this is the way to go. If you're using it out in the field, there's a few systems that you can use. Okay, it would be in the hoop house. You can use these in the hoop house too, except um, sometimes you have, you're trying to maximize the square footage in your hoop houses. And so if you can get that up off the ground, then it just stays out from what you're gonna have to walk over. In the field, this makes a lot more sense because you don't have any structure overhead to be able to do it with. But very good question. So if I have an issue, if I don't have it running permanently, would it be an issue? As far as if you don't have it running permanently? Humidity. Humidity. Actually, um, for instance, let's say that you're growing lettuce in the summertime, okay? 
actually your lettuce is probably going to do much better if you overhead irrigate it than if you use drip tape. And here's the reason why. In hot temperatures, especially in a hoop house situation, you're going to have a lot of evaporation happening on those crops. And so what we've done this summer in Oklahoma, and we're quite humid as well, and I would think that we'd probably be a little hotter than Pennsylvania as well. We get up to 103, 104 degrees during the summertime. Um, is that we'll actually turn this thing on for 10 minutes during the middle of the day for every two hours, and we miss those crops, okay? And what happens is, is that you're basically putting an artificial sweat on those crops. It evaporates, and evaporation cools. And so it's a system to kind of mitigate the heat extremes in the day, especially in the hoop houses and field situations. Um, if you are doing tomatoes in your hoop houses, though, I definitely wouldn't recommend doing overhead in there because you're probably going to have higher uh, fungal situations. I would do the drip tape on tomatoes and stuff like that. But when it comes to um, green-loving crops um, like Swiss chard, cabbage, kale, uh, lettuce, things like that that you're trying to push through the summer, overhead is definitely the way to go for sure. Uh-huh. Cucumbers, oh, that's a really good point. Believe it or not, cucumbers actually thrive better with overhead irrigation. We, we overhead actually went in there with a wand and I would water my cucumbers on their leaves every day from the top down. And you would think that it would cause a lot of disease situation, but in actuality, it actually, they actually like a humider environment. If it's too dry, cucumbers will actually do poorly um, than better. And that's the experience that we've experienced. And also, uh, Jean Martin, which is a guy that we read about, he actually overhead irrigates his cucumber plants. So some of the plants that you might think wouldn't like water on their leaves actually do. So it's something to research. Squash like cucumbers? Squash would be like cucumbers. So overhead irrigating squash is actually not a bad idea. You can experiment. Um, I don't know so much about those because we don't grow them on our place, but I would imagine since they're in the same family, they would probably perform better with that situation. Um, with overhead, yeah. And a lot of the things is too is that, and I, I don't know if this applies to tomatoes, but with the squash and stuff like that, a lot of these downy mildews diseases and stuff like that happen. I'm not sure about downy mildew. Maybe it's powdery mildew. Anyways they put the spore on the plant, but if you're watering overhead every day, it washes those spores off. And so if you do it consistently enough, you can actually mitigate some of those disease issues because you're actually keeping the water moving off of those leaves instead of letting the spores establish and actually start to grow. Um, and then it also brings the stress level down because that's just that much less water that those plants have to pull up themselves from the ground, which means that they have less work to do, which means that you're taking the stress off of them, makes them more disease resistant, more productive. They can put more energy into fruit production. Um, now, out in the field situation, um, you, have two, you have pretty much two options. Um, this, this is actually, this is from Deerfield. We didn't, um, we didn't, uh, these, these stainless steel steaks didn't come. We actually bought those off of a steel company. I'm sorry, just a second. Um, so we put these stakes on, but uh, this system, so the plastic part, okay, um, has, it's a half inch um, uh, female hose thread that it comes with, and basically you can put any type of head size in the top of this thing, and then you just run this into the ground, and then you can take this, punch a hole, it's the same punch hole tool as the drip tape, punch it into your line that runs down your field, and then you can pop these overhead risers in wherever you want them. So just stick them in the ground. 
and it's a very efficient way when you're moving from field to field and needing to move systems around. Um, this is a very efficient way because the old way to do it was to do it like this, to basically bring in a, a coupling with a half inch a female host thread and then put a riser off of that and then screw in your thing on top. Well, each time you make a hole like this, it's just more cost. You have to pay for this, this, and this. Um, with this situation, it's just a punch, a pop, and you're in, and you're done. You don't have to put any fittings. You don't have to use any CC clamps. It's just a better way um, to do it. The downside of these is that if you're doing a small production, these really aren't what you want. Um, because, especially with the wobbler heads, um, when you're doing overhead irrigation, you have to think about spray pattern to get uniform coverage. So you have to have a large enough field with enough of these to actually make it work. So for instance, let's say that I'm here and you're there, which you are. <laughs> um, so let's say I'm a wobbler here and you're a wobbler there, okay? If, if <laughs> yeah, this is called a wobbler. They're, they're really great. But basically what this does, it's going to throw a water spray and it's going to hit you about at your feet because it's shooting up. It's really not going to water my feet very well. But then you're there and you're shooting over to water me. And so it's this cross-watering situation that's happening. But let's say that we're in a row. Our edges might not be get watered. The thing behind me, if I'm the last one in the field, might not get watered so well. So you have to have a large enough field to have enough of these because their spray pattern is so large. You need enough of them to get it, to get them okay, I'm covering you, and you're covering me, and I'm covering you, and you're covering me, and you're covering you. you. Just see how this works. And so with this system, it, you really want to have probably a field that's like 100 feet wide by 100 feet long or something like those dimensions for something like this to be most effective. But if you don't have that, there's always smaller options. I haven't used these myself, but this is something that Rick's going to be using, right, Rick? Okay, so this is, this is a micro sprinkler, okay? And they have smaller situations. It is a barbed connection like the bigger one. It's just a smaller a hose. And you will put these probably every three to four feet as well, kind of like the uh, overhead situation. You can pass those around if people want to look at them. And... This one, I don't know where you... Where'd you get that one from, Rick? Is it... I uh, got it through an online company. Yeah. Um, I buy mine. I don't buy mine through where Drip, uh, Rick gets his. Drip gets his. <laughs> um, I buy mine through a company called Irrigation Mart. It's an online company, and they sell these micro sprinklers. So you just look in their website under micro sprinklers, and you can find different ones like this. Irrigation Mart. Mart, like Walmart, Irrigation Mart. And basically, this is just a smaller scale version of what the wobblers do. Okay. So basically, um, this is yeah, <laughs> a really great candy. No, just kidding. Um, this is the little uh, this is the little wobbler tip here, and as you can see, it can fit between. Sorry, it can fit between my fingers. I'm sorry, guy. Um, it can fit between my fingers. So it's a very small, small scale system. Where these really shine is in small applications. So you would put these every three feet in the row or every four feet. You might be able to do with five. You really need to make sure that when you're doing a system like this that you have at least 30 PSI because it won't have the coverage that you need. The higher the PSI, the higher it's going to throw this water. But a system short like this really work well in our operation. Where did that go? <laughs> I'm going blind here. Okay. These really work well in our operation because they're close to the ground. And why would you think that's really important for us? Um, then 
<laughs> we live in Oklahoma. It always blows. And so if your system is too high, it's going to blow to the next field. And I mean, your neighbor will be happy, but you're not going to get water on your garden. And so these actually sit down about this far in the soil. So they only stick up about six to eight inches off the ground. And so um, with, for a tin bed field, we could probably cover our tin bed field with about four of these lines running down our field. So every two beds rough, roughly. Uh, two and a half, whatever that division would be. Um, five systems to get adequate coverage. But the neat thing about these is that, let's say that you're sprouting uh, turnips or radishes, that you're direct seeding into your bed, okay? These are going to put out a lot more water at one time than something like drip tape would, okay? And so it's more intensive water, which means it's going to stay wet longer. And someone might, you know, not agree with me on this, but for instance, let's say we're doing lettuce mix, and people will drill lettuce mix, like with a cedar or something like that, like a six-row cedar. We didn't find that very effective for us, so we actually sprinkle our seeds on the top. And then, since they're on the top, I have to make sure I have consistent and a lot of water going on there. I can't let that dry out for about three to four days before that lettuce sprouts. So something like this that comes on at an incremental level maybe twice a day to get that stuff up and going is extremely important. And because it's close to the ground, it doesn't blow. We've had really good success, especially with our greens like lettuce mix, if you're growing arugula, um, if you're growing dill, um, things like this in your bed. These are just really, really nice because they put the water out well. Get that on the internet too with the micro sprinklers. Micro sprinklers, Irrigation Mart is the one that sells this. Yeah, micro sprinklers is what these are called. So that pretty much... Um, and of course, all of these systems, if you have high PSI coming in your line, so for instance, let's say that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grower, okay, and I'm, let's say I'm buying co-op water, which might be at, come in at somewhere between 60 to 80 PSI, depending where you are and depending what the pumps are working at. You're going to need to knock down the pressure because if the pressure gets too high, even for these little systems, especially with these, that is just more like a, you kind of squeeze it in there and it holds, okay, if you have too much pressure, you're they're going to just pop off the top. So you're going to want to make sure for those systems that you still have a pressure regulator, except instead of for 10 PSI like this one, it's going to be something for like 40 PSI or 30 PSI. Um, I think that pretty much covers the systems as far as, yes? Well, I just have a small yeah, home garden. Uh, but uh, I used drip lines or soaker hoses or poly lines for many years and I was always facing repairs and then um, it, it described in the book uh, you know the Midlatter gardening course you know of using actually PVC pipe like a little half inch PVC pipe and drilling with a tiny little 57 bit now that's a smaller bit than you can even find in Home Depot you have to order it online a tiny 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 little bit and every two or four inches depending you can just drill you know at an angle and then it you can put in that pvc pipe but the thing of it is is it's durable you know i've had my pvc pipe in there for four or five years now and not one single repair ever and it's 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 going to last for 20 years it's going to last for a long long time it's it's there's just very very durable what was the drill bit size again? Uh, number 57. 
number 57 drill bit. You know, there's many ways to skin a cat. You know, one of the things is, is that when you're working on a market garden system like this, you have to have your infrastructure movable and flexible. Uh, something like PVC, unless it's a, your system, I'm guessing, just stays where it does every year. You're not really yanking this out and moving it 50 feet or 100 yards or a mile away. Okay. So with, with systems like that, um, that really works well. With something that's dynamic, like what we're doing, we're moving crops around, we're having to move things out of field, put movable hoop houses in. We have to have a dynamic and movable system. So something like that, if you're going to have a, a, I'm guessing, a very standardized system that really doesn't move a lot, Yeah. I don't know. My experience with PVC is that in many ways it can be fragile, especially over time. Do you use a, do you use a, a UV treated PVC that won't get brittle over time? Okay. Yeah. So just take these things into consideration, but thank you for sharing. That's, it's, it's valuable to just kind of get an idea of all the, all the options out there. One thing that um, you're going to have to deal with, and that is um, the design of your system. So uh, perhaps your house is here. How much time do we have? Um, it's 42. Okay. Um, let's say you have an orchard here. You have a greenhouse here. And um, depending on where you want to have plots, um, growing, um, you're going to have to figure out your design. How are you going to get water to these individual spots, uh, the layout? And uh, you may need to go and consult with somebody who has experience so that you can get the simplest layout possible. Uh, one thing that uh, is very important is you need to have as many valves as possible. These irrigation companies sometimes will have consultants that work with you. Yes. Um, these irrigation companies online, you can call them um, a, a plumbing house supply. Uh, they, they have people who can often help you design what you need to set up. Um, uh, putting in as, as many valves as you can so that you can maintain um, a certain area without it affecting your whole system. Um, sometimes you might have to turn off the water to the house if you don't have uh, a uh, good valve system for maintenance. Um, then you have to determine what kind of system am I going to have in the, each of these areas. So that's another thing you need to work into your design. And, and start out as simple as possible because costs can go up really quick in these and then you run out of money to get the things you need. So s keep it simple and then as you learn the needs of your particular property then you can develop further your irrigation system. And one thing I want to really stress is that uh, you may leave here with more questions than you started with and the Holy Spirit is the best um, guide in any scenario. The Holy Spirit can, can prompt you to make a decision between this size and that size. The Holy Spirit can, can teach you things that you never imagined um, he would teach you. And so always asking him at every stage, what do I do here? This person suggested that. This person suggested this. Guide me. 
so that I can have the system that you would want me to have. Are there any questions? All right. Um, yes. No, no dumb questions. Yes. Uh, she asked if I lived in the mountains. It's hard to say whether it's better at the top or the bottom. Um, it, it, every scenario is different. You know, I'm I'm at close to 6,000 feet elevation, and somebody else could be at a lower elevation but still have a mountain in Tennessee. And so not all mountains are equal. Um, so you really have to check that particular location because western mountains versus eastern mountains, it's... Um, yeah, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Also, some things you can do is you can always take water tests to see what the quality and what your water actually has into it, has with it. And then if you have like a local um, extension agent um, that can get you in contact with someone that can interpret that analysis and help you figure out, okay, is this the best water quality or is it not? Um, really take advantage of the Oklahoma, wa sorry, the water resource boards. Take advantage of your local co-op people to best an analyze especially if you're buying land. If you have land already, you're kind of stuck with it. Even then, you want to test it to know what you're dealing with, but especially if you're buying land, to take these tests before you actually purchase it. What's the quality of water? How much water is it? Um, where is it coming from? What are any possible contaminants? You know, do you have something upstream that's going to be causing problems for you downstream? Anything like that are good things to think about. Sometimes you're water table at the top of the mountain will be lower down than at a lower position on the mountain. It really varies. It really varies. The flood ruined a lot of things, let's put it that way. Yeah. Any other questions? And if you think of a question later on, um, yeah, Alan or I are, are happy to answer. And All right. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you because you have sent your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, whether it is about our walk with you or about simple things as irrigation. And I pray, Lord, that you will guide each person here as they move forward in their, their farming or agriculture experience. Please prepare our hearts, Lord, for the Sabbath that's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.